Welcome back to the Pilgrim Faith Podcast, where human wonder fuels the quest for Christian wisdom. Today, Dale and I are going to be very mature gentlemen who form philosophical and practical hot takes based upon Facebook posts. Uh, Dale was a, 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 a mutual friend of ours said something to the effect of, uh, you know, I'd rather my my children my young men watch a, a single, you know, sort of lecture by Jordan Peterson on masculinity. I think that would be more helpful for him than three quarters of what's taught on this in the evangelical church, something, you know, something to that effect. And Dale made the comment that, um, you know, he would say a similar thing about marriage that, you know, there's this interesting chapter in Beyond Order. I think you and I both found it, in fact, oddly to us, maybe one of the most striking chapters in the book, because each of us, you know, there's a lot of those chapters, we haven't read anything about whatever that is, but we're evangelicals, so all of us have read a whole bunch about marriage. And it was weird that this kind of noble pagan can write 40 pages on marriage, and it's like, that's the most precise and realistic thing I've ever heard written about marriage. Uh, uh, why is that? What are we not staring at? in most of our discourse about marriage and why is it that this is staring at that and we're not. And so what we wanted to talk about is just, I don't know, I suppose cultivating a, what is, you know, what, what in discourse about what it is to be married, do we, do we kind of lack in some sense? Uh, and what might it look like to create a, uh, I don't know, a, a fuller and more living dynamic, communicative dynamic where realistic, discussion of marriage and sharing of marriage is a is a thing that can happen in the church. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Pilgrim Faith Podcast. The Pilgrim Faith Podcast is a podcast of the Davenant Institute. Our previous episodes can be found by going to youtube.com slash Davenant Institute. The project that Joe and I are interested in is using human wonder to fuel the quest for Christian wisdom. We have interviews with authors and have conversations about topics that interest us. If you find that this content is intriguing and sometimes challenging, but nevertheless edifying, and you'd like to support the project financially, then in the comments section of the YouTube episodes, there's a link that you can access and give any amount to help Joe and I continue to produce content like this. We hope that you will enjoy the rest of this podcast. And we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Church. Yeah. 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 I think one thing that I think we could just say right off the bat is that marriage is this sort of um, very programmy feel in the church. In other words, I'm sure we've all gone to Sunday school uh, series or maybe a sermon series where it's like 10 ways to improve your marriage. Or, you know, six principles to um, keep the romance alive or something like that. And then what the church tries to do is uh, talk in vague sort of platitude, platitudes and uh, euphemisms and uh, give general advice upon which you can begin to move as a couple on these sort of vague planks towards whatever a good marriage is, which normally cashes out into looking more like Christ in the church. Whatever that means, really, it's left up to the hearer's mind. And I know I'm sort of being general here, um, but I think it is a phenomenon. And I think one of the reasons that Jordan Peterson is so 
insightful and he resonates so deeply when you read him on marriage is because he's talking about making the bed uh and and he's talking about making the bed from within the context of slavery um so it's like how do these things go together um but he's just uh you can tell he's a man that has been paying very close attention to each part of his married life and trying to look at it and go, what is happening within this relationship? And then he's de developed grammar over the course of his marriage to say, here are the things that we all experience. Here's a set of language that I'm trying to use in order to clarify what ha what's happening inside yeah. of marriages. And if you can avoid these things, or if you can try to do these things, that seems like a common sense approach to two different humans trying to live together in the, in a, in a marriage. So yeah. I hate I hate to use this phrase because I think it's overused, <clears throat> but it's a very human approach to marriage. It's a very holistic approach to marriage, yeah. and that's to say that it just recognizes the little tiny textures that go on inside of marriage yeah, that are mostly. Missed mostly by precisely by i think um what you were saying precisely by paying attention and having an having an eyeball on those textures uh it it winds up saying in a more profound way precisely interestingly what christians want to say about marriage so what's interesting when you hear him talk about marriage is that it's not like issues of respect and these sorts of things are sort of just left to the, or even hierarchy are left to the side a lot of those things are, are are discussed but not in ways that are larpy or weird or that reduce uh one of the genders uh to less than a human <laughs> say right. um uh and it's i think one of the one of the reasons that's useful for us is we have a, a kind of modern intellectual trying to navigate the real textures of a modern life and i think what happens has happened in a lot of gender discourse and this has been pointed out for a while Ivan illich when he writes on gender sort of makes the point that a lot of contemporary tensions between the genders uh is very recent in history you know there's this impression that there was sort of you know the patriarchy and this has always been a problem feminism comes along and now we're finally sort of historical rectitude is upon us it is very true that men have always it is very true that women have always been vulnerable that abuse has happened it's you know a lot of the a lot of the bad tales are true but a lot of it's very imbalanced the, the history of men and women is also a very thick history of mutual love and cooperation. Those things exist as well. But the contemporary textures of tension between the genders is largely for Illich, the fallout of contemporary life where home and work are separated uh, and lives and, and culture as a civilization values this thing called work and actually wants the women to go over there in its eye, it's privatized and does not value the home uh, in mm. its, in its cultural apparatus and all the, and all these sorts of things, nor does it reward the be, being in the home. It rewards this thing over here. Uh, and so it puts women in a position to, to, to build up a kind of nascent resentment uh, 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 that 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 is not actually parallel to actually the regard that a, a lot of women actually felt in different sort of sort of gendered arrangements, and the reason that's important 
is because if we are trying to, you know, appeal to natural law, if we are trying to, 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 you know, kind of get back to first principles, uh, we're, we're just LARPing. We're not being real. Uh, if we don't recognize what the actual, and this is where it goes back to actual textures, what the actual te actual textures of being a man and a woman are in precisely this context, and that that those textures have a history, uh, they've been they've been they've been shaped in a particular way, uh, and I think Peterson is helpful precisely because he's he's kind of getting those old principles precisely in this historical moment. And and giving actually practical wisdom about how to inter how to how to execute those principles in a moment where the pressures feel, as it were, just like this. And I think yeah. that's in contrast. Last thing I'll say, I think that's in contrast to what I think you see in a lot of the churches more a reaction to being in this moment at all. It's like, well, here's and there and what that can wind up looking like is. Uh, we need to recover the old principles. And what that really means is we need to recover the 1950s. What's really going on in your head when you say Ephesians 5, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, is you are thinking what you're populating in the phantasm there, this 1950s arrangement, which is actually quite unnatural. <laughs> bad for men, bad for women, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, a bad mode of having a civilization in some ways. Not everything about the 50s. There's many, many good ways of doing doing it even then. I don't want to say just the 50s in some broad way, but there were many bad ways of doing it. Sure. Textualize these, uh, the, these pressures. Yeah. 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 And I think it's the practicality of his uh, grammar that makes it so accessible. So for, let me give you an example. Like he's got this section in there when he's talking about how um, you have to negotiate, you have to divide up the duties in the home, right? Uh, and you have to keep your romance alive with your with your wife. Well, how do we do that? And he, he says, well, just say what you mean. And it's like, okay, what do you mean by that? He, and he goes on to explain, he says, listen, uh, the first thing that needs to happen is you need to know what you want from your partner. You need to know who you are and what you want. So like, that's the first move, right? And we talked about this the last time that you and I uh, met for one of just our um, solo uh, podcasts, which was man, know yourself. So you begin there, you begin to know who you are. What am I as a man? What? And then the wife should be thinking, what am, who am I as, you know, Mrs. Smith? Who am I as Mr. Smith? When we figure out who we are and then we ask ourselves, what is it I want? Uh, then what we have to do is communicate that to our partners. Now, this seems very normal and common. Like this should just be like a duh moment. But uh, I can tell you that a lot of the times in my marriage anyway, I do not communicate exactly what I want. And I know that my wife does not communicate exactly what she wants. And the reasons that Jordan Peterson points out, and when I was reading this, it's like, oh yes, he's hitting there. He's hitting on something very deep is because if I know myself and the things that I want betray a part of me that I could be embarrassed about, or that I will be vulnerable in, after I tell somebody what it is I want, because they can take that and use that against me to hurt me by depriving me of what I want, then it actually takes an enormous amount of courage to say what you want. 
because you are risking your vulnerability, embarrassment, and massive disappointment, and at worst, betrayal by simply telling your spouse what you want. And that requires trust in that person. Uh, and it may be true that you're tr you do trust your wife or you do trust your husband, but there is a part of us that really does reserve total trust to our partner. Uh, so when you begin to think through it that way, it's less of a maxim, just tell me what you want, and it's more of a process that needs to be engaged in if we are going to get to the point that we can even utter the sentence that begins with, I want X, right? Yeah. So it's these sorts of insights that I think are deeply, uh, that resonate with us very deeply because we actually don't do them for the reasons that Jordan Peterson points out. And so we can understand then why our partner uh, is having a hard time telling you what they want because they're probably struggling with those things too. But if the two of you can come together and then say out loud, I'm having a hard time telling you exactly what I want because I'm afraid because I could be embarrassed, because I could be hurt, um, then that begins a dialogue between two people that is not there if you just begin by, tell me what you want, tell me what you want. So now those rich textures, yeah. those interpersonal dynamics are forming organically and naturally with total transparency and clarity. And now when you get to the point where it's like, tell me what you want, you will listen and hopefully your spouse will listen because you're both operating from a seat of understanding the, mm. the amount of courage that it took to, to vocalize those desires. And this is one of the ground zeros of the transparency you talked about last time we were together as well, that, that, that what we're trying to cultivate in the church is a site of mutual exposure. It's the light. Uh, mm. We want you know, the boundaries of propriety do matter. And yet it's the church that perhaps uh, uh, is willing to go to places to, to, to be self-exposed in a way that's beyond just ordinary. In uh, uh, marriage is perhaps one of the nodal points where that's cultivated or the church cultivated in the church and then fed into marriage perhaps as yeah. a feedback loop but mm. but to, to just uh to uh, uh ask a question i guess what do you think you know so in a lot of our pedagogy you know you're raised in the church you get your kind of you know we all know the marriage text your first peter two your ephesians five you know matthew 19 you know you, you pull these together uh what do you think what do you think is kind of missing? Like, it's like we get that pedagogy and that is, that does guide you. It's not, I'm not, I'm not saying that like, oh, there's the, you know, there's the kindergarten stuff from the Bible. Right. <laughs> you know, the Bible is wiser than us and whatever, whatever a movement toward greater understanding is should throw us back into those passages and make us increasingly go, aha, not, right. you know, they're not the, the, yeah, yeah. Just the way station on the way to insight. That's not at all. Uh, nevertheless, what do you think often happens? I guess you could say in the, in the, in the kind of the way that they're sort of appropriated culturally, almost in Eva culture, uh, if you mm -hmm. will. Uh, and what, what sort of is missing in that, in that, 
I don't know, in that whole picture in your, in your observation, because I know you've counseled a lot of couples. And so you have, a, I think, a wider experience in this than I do. Yeah, I don't know if I have one particular answer, but I think I can begin to get at something. Um, and that is that I think a lot of the mistakes that we make when we try to offer, quote unquote, biblical counseling is what we do is we rip together these verses, the Ephesians 5, the Colossians 4, the Matthew, the Peter, and we just sort of put them together in a bundle and we say, here, read these particular texts and derive the principle from from the collected voice of the, these small little, uh, this small sample of text. I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. I'm sure that good will come out of that because God's word never returns void. But I think that if you can situate those within the overarching uh, story of the whole corpus of the Bible, then when you read those texts, they become much more profound in uh, the way that they reach not just you and your wife or your children, but actually all the way into the cosmos and, and all throughout redemption. So like there's a marriage motif that runs from the beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, and it's sprinkled throughout every single book of the Bible. Marriage as a concept is important to God, and it's one in which he uses to string together history. So understanding the importance of that, then we can sort of parachute down into the details of particular texts and go, mm. where does this fit in the overarching narrative? Mm. Where's the, the narrative arc? of all of redemption and what's the significance for that. Interestingly, what that immediately gestures my own mind toward is just what is the motif of redemption, but but what is the motif of history, excuse me, but redemption? What's the story always in scripture, but redemption? And, and it seems to me one of the things in marriage that I've seen and in as much as I've experienced growth in my own marriage, I can only say that the story is one of redemption. Uh, 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 you know, yeah. I, I was telling Rebecca, Rebecca and I are very different, you know, very, very different, uh, 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 in, you know, if you take your personality tests, uh, you know, if we, we, we joke that if we had met on a, uh, if we had both signed up for eHarmony, you know, the, uh, it would have, it would have like the algorithm would have like made sure we never met, uh, uh, yeah. But God is God is a, a God is deeper than eHarmony, as it turns out. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and what's interesting is sometimes you, what happens, uh, you, you know, in, in gravity, you know, you you get this phenomenon in space of these two moving objects that move around each other at various distances. Sometimes, well, I mean, obviously unbelievable distances, you know, insane distances. And yet they really do have a center of gravity and what's going on mm -hmm. over millennia, you know, millions of years in some theories or uh, however long in whatever theory <laughs> is they're moving closer together. That's what we all can agree on. They're moving closer together. Some at starting closer together, some perhaps further away. Uh, it, and one of the things in marriage that's when it grows, I think, is that these two people with two stories who are both sinners come together and, and growth in marriage is almost inevitably allied to your own sin being you being redeemed from your own sin and your spouse being redeemed from their sin so that the union of love produces a new kind of fruit in the world. 
Yes. And it's always a perfectible thing. It's always more redeemable. It's always more purgeable. Uh, you know, we never arrive. And I think when you, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And when you, and one of the things about, I think, contemporary reflection on love, actually, the paradigm of love, the, and this is interesting, it's the very same as the paradigm of sex. I was reading a, uh, a study recently on CNN. Don't worry, I don't go read all the sex studies. There just happened to be one on CNN. Uh, and the and the one on CNN said something like, uh, uh, this number of couples report this sort of thing. And I went and I read the study and all of the, the people that they studied were like undergraduates at a university. And I thought, it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me that literally the, the paradigm of studying sexual health is now not the married couple. It's the it's it's the under the young undergraduate student and their needs. Uh, that's actually the thing we're staring at to study. Uh, similarly, when you talk about love, the paradigm of love, that kind of Im imagination, as it were, against which we measure the goodness of the love we are experiencing. And whether we're ashamed of our love life or not ashamed of our love life, the standard against which we measure that is new, young, intense chemistry love. Uh, you yeah. know, sort of chemistry flying, all this sort of thing. And, 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 and we measure kind of the couple you don't want to be. And, and it's not entirely crazy. We all under, we, we all do it. We all, we, we can all uh, understand this on some register by, by, the, by kind of their, their, their distance from that thing. But what that, I think, what has subtly happened in our imaginations, perhaps, is the notion of love and the experience of love as a sort of achievement, as a, as yes. a long cultivated thing where the distant orbits, you know, really were, and, and where it was celebrated, like, Men, uh, both in a general way, like men are this way and women are this way, and they're strange to each other. But then mm -hmm. it, that that's always instantiated in your you and your wife as her, and in some cases you're very strange to each other. Yeah. <laughs> but but what the beauty of love is is actually turning what is an apparent chaos. This is Bavink, right? Through your freedom, through craft, through art, through relational craft that honors the nature of each other and the freedom of each other. And at the intersection of those freedoms forms a dance where the man is a man, a woman is a woman. They both feel free and fully themselves. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that is a, that's superior to our vision of love and something we've almost lost the taste for. And yet I also think we, we deeply long for it. Yeah. Yes. I think you're right, brother. Um, I also think that there's this, and again, I mean, you and I are speaking largely anecdotally. What have we experienced in our Christian circles? Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but when it's come to come to marriage, I think that there's also, been a false sense of security that's been given to the couple um, that if you do, if you read these books and you do these things together, then what will happen is your home will be peaceful. Um, because it might be true that there are some things that you can do and some, some practices that you can habituate 
daily or, uh, you know, uh, habits of going on dates together. There's nothing wrong with that. Those are very good. Very good. But, yeah. sometimes, but sometimes those dates will suck and yeah. you will fight and things will crumble and break and the date will be the impetus for a schism that might last the next two or three days. And so if we don't equip couples that are thinking about marriage or running into problems with marriage and looking for answers that, hey, things are going to suck from now until you die together, uh, not totally suck and not suck all the time, but there's going to be suckiness from now until for, forever, whether that's experienced sort of overtly in, you know, verbal altercation or secretly inside the quiet suffering mind of a spouse you're going to experience problems and i think that the church does well to um, lean into that and to say we're not trying to tell you how to have a good marriage we're trying to tell you the nature of marriage and what to expect and the way that god has shown he overcomes obstacles we have we have uh, principles, yes, but we also have examples of how the God of all creation maneuvers around obstacles in his marriage to his bride throughout history. And so if you set the expectations correctly, not that you're going, like, I think what you said was, um, we don't view love as as uh, sort of arriving or, or achieving it. We think that it's just like all firecrackers and excitement. And if that chemistry is not there, then guess we're out of luck. And and uh, instead, it's this slow gravitational pull towards two different uh, planets, so to speak. Um, and that's a journey. That's a pilgrimage. It takes a long time for that to happen. If that is the vision that we're handing the church, uh, then I think that young couples will think about the next 25 years rather than the next 20 months. And I think that um, one of the reasons Jordan Peterson is so good on this is because he does talk about all these things that are going to be there in 60 years. Uh, he talks right. about a story about a, a couple and um, the old man's dying of cancer. And uh, they've been together for like 60 years or whatever. And he comes out and his wife serves him tea and she puts it on the little tea saucer. And, and uh, finally he goes, you know, for 60 years, you've been putting the teacup on the little tea saucer. We got the big tea saucers, the big, nice ones. How come you never use those in the 60 years? <laughs> and, and she's like, well, I didn't know that you didn't like the small tea saucers. She's like, well, we never use the big tea. And there's this thing that's been going on, a subtext for 60 years inside of this marriage <laughs> that just is coming out at the end of the life. Uh, um, and it's those things uh, that he points to that makes me think, ah, okay, what do I secretly harbor inside of my heart that I'm not telling my wife? So just on its utility, that advice that comes from careful sort of observation, discernment, and thought about the nature of just being alive with this other human engaged in this project, having taken a vow together before our friends and before our maker, uh, that we must work at until we're dead, then we can say we are in love and we have to work at remaining in love 
It is not falling in love and then falling out of love. And I think a lot of times the church has sort of like used that language. And I've talked to women who are like, I just don't feel in love with my husband anymore. It's like, why? Well, he doesn't do blah. He doesn't do blah. He doesn't do blah. And then you talk to the husband and, and he's like, I know that she doesn't love me anymore, but I don't really care because she's annoying because she does blah and blah and blah. And if you put these two people together, those things have never been clearly communicated uh, for the most part. Maybe they have in their sort of temper tantrums when they're yeah. just trying to injure the other person, uh, but they've never been worked through because if you don't get at a knot when it's little, that ball of yarn, that knot is going to get bigger and yeah. bigger and bigger and bigger. And then when you're finally like, it's time to unravel it, you got a whole bunch of work to do. So like maintain everything as you go. And those, those sorts of pieces of advice, I guess, is the example that I'm using to say Jordan Peterson is healthy because he understands the details of relationship. Yeah. This is, uh, I had a, uh, a minister, when I was engaged to Rebecca, I took him out to lunch and said, you know, sort of what's your, what's your advice about marriage? And he said a very interesting thing to me. I thought he said, you know, on the one hand, the Bible only says a handful of things very overtly say in the new Testament about marriage. You know, again, we just talked about it. Here's the pile of passages. He said, on the other hand, marriage is just a relation, not just, but it's a relationship. And the Bible says a million things about relationships. So if you want to know what the Bible says about marriage, read everything the Bible says about relationships. And that should apply first to your mm -hmm. marriage. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you know, on that register, everything, I mean, I mean, scripture is never not talking about your marriage, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, you know, at, at that wide of a I think another thing I'll, I'll just add, you know, as we kind of move toward a, a conclusion is, I suppose in the last session we had in this one, you know, one thing that comes up a little bit, keeps coming up a bit is, you know, the vulnerability of saying what you want, the vulnerability mm -hmm. of mutual exposure, talking about it in the church, talking about it in marriage. And I wonder, um, I wonder if in, certain contexts, it's easy to take on a certain kind of uh, highly sort of sort of competent uh, Bible performance. In other words, here's the 10 things that godly Christian women do. Here's the 10 things that godly Christian men do, most of which are very good and that everybody should do. That is not in dispute. Most of those are, a lot of that's extremely crucial things. But where, nevertheless, a I wonder whether there are marriages where the ex, kind of the external presence of these things winds up becoming the way in which husband and wife mutually gaze at one another. And is there a is there a uh, uh, when you talking about vulnerability though you're talking about uh, a sort of penetration beneath the performance. Uh, uh, penetration beneath the external performance. Uh, and inevitably, that kind of vulnerability is a little bit scary. It's not actually all roses at that level of knowing a person or be, or what's worse, being known by a person. Yeah. Uh, it's not all simple at that level. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I wonder. I wonder if that's a level of intimacy 
that sometimes is not arrived at uh, uh, in marriage and can kind of hide, as it were, in a set of uh, good enough practices. Yeah, well, I don't know how much this would help anyone, but just here's something that I made about, I don't know, seven years ago. I sat down with Rachel and I said this to her and we have been working on it ever since. I said, from now on, honey, when, from now on, I am going to say exactly what I am thinking to you about our marriage, even if I know it's going to hurt you and I'm going to be wise about it. I'm not going to be like, you know, you screwed up here, woman, what's the matter with you? You know, the, the, the tomato soup sucked tonight or whatever. But like on every little thing that we live together, if it does come to food uh, or whatever, or like the way that she corrected a child or the way that I feel um, that could be embarrassing for me, like I want to cry right now because I'm overwhelmed with X. I'm just going to say these things to you, honey. And then I want you to respond to me and just tell me what you would respond, what your natural way of responding. So I'm not just saying let's check out and just be like a a fire hydrant of, you know, streaming consciousness. (laughs) Uh, But I am saying those things which you feel weird about saying, let's be intentional to say them. And we have gotten better and better and better and better at that. Uh, and it has cost us an enormous amount of time in yeah. pretty significant disagreements and emotional nights of hours talking through things. But the reward has been, you talk about that beautiful, mature, gravitational yeah. sort of pull towards the center and it's the dance. My marriage is uh, in the healthiest spot it's been since I've been married. Yeah. Um, and I assume that's the way that it will continue, but it's precisely right. through that that it has yeah. become. And I think um, one of the one of the things you just mentioned, yeah, that 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 level of vulnerability. I'm just going to say the thing, and of course, you're you know you mentioned you're prudential about it, because there is probably like you know do your do your tell your spouse every thought you ever have you know that kind of thing right probably that's not a good idea uh, sure. <laughs> you know it's and so there's a but i think it's actually having the posture you're talking about that gives you the wisdom to make that decision righteously because the righteous decision is to to make is like they're vaguely aware of this thing already. I don't need to beat a dead horse. You know, it's that kind of thing. You know, you have a, you can, you, you can make good judgments about what to withhold because uh, you know, yeah, you know what in principle is sort of out there, uh, uh, if you will. Uh, and so I think the, the final thing I'd want to say, and, and I suppose this is what's percolating in my own mind about marriage is that nevertheless, if you are committed to that kind of mutual exposure, even with those kind of prudential moments in that we're, we just mentioned. It's vulnerable to say what you want uh, because you know that there are things about you <laughs> that are shameful in some ways and you're not even mm-hmm. sure what they are. Um, similarly, I think to have that kind of deeper vulnerability with one's spouse and to be exposed to them is um, it's, it's difficult 
I think it's actually difficult because there are places that you are a human and places that they are a human that are hard to stare at and hard to have stared at. Hmm. Um, and yet, I think just like the gospel, healing is by coming into the light. It is actually the exposing healing purity of the light that that makes you a new person and enables you to love. And what I've experienced, I think, in my my own marriage is that those are those are moments where it really does become a story of redemption, where uh, sitting in the exposure that's hard, and it is, it can be very, very hard, uh, is sitting in the space where I can echo the original Lord have mercy on me, a sinner, mm-hmm. all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I can echo that original cry to God and incorporate within it uh god please save me from this about me because i see Mm. it and it's stubborn and it's not uh you know i'm like eustace i can't i'm you know i can't rip the scales away uh uh and and the reward then of that uncomfortable exposure is a much much deeper piece and i think a relational resilience on the other side that's that's very beautiful uh Mm. and uh yeah yeah back to you brother yeah, amen, brother. I I appreciate the I appreciate the conversation, and it's one of those things that you know. In thirty years, we'll look back and listen to what we said and be like, "Those kids didn't know anything." <laughs> <laughs> oh, they understood marriage, <laughs> right? Oh, oh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, but just uh, I mean, we're we're, we're going to be in the game by God's grace. So um, yeah, uh, we'll we'll flesh out more thoughts as we mature. But yes, uh, brother. Yes. So thank you very much. Um, all right, everyone, head over to, as always, Davenin Institute's YouTube channel. You can check out all of our previous episodes. We're also on iTunes and all the podcast catchers. Uh, but until then, Joe, I love you, brother. Love you too, man. We'll see you next time.